0: Welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and in today's episode, and next week's as well, I'll be speaking with Sam House. Sam is somewhat of a legend in the world of the Coactive Training Institute. He's been around for a while leading up leader development as well as CTI's leadership program. And in today's episode, Sam shares some of his own personal story, including growing up with, as he puts it, dynamic dinner table conversation the influence and impact of alcohol on his family, and him in particular, the search for predictability and facing the illusion of control, the heroism, in air quotes, of the white knight and do-gooder, and of course its attendant dark side. Uh, Sam shares the inevitable path that leads from arrogance to driving a New York City cab, and so, so much more. So please do enjoy this conversation. And before we get there, just a reminder, if you've not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's dig in. And Sam House, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be in conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to be in conversation with you. So here's how we're going to start. Uh, what was it growing up? What was it like growing up in your part of the world?
1: Uh, boy, that's a big question. Uh, like, because I consider my part of the world being like my part in my family and my part in my community, and those are different. <laughs> there are multiple stories within that. Those both of those places.
0: Uh, yeah, all of the above.
1: Okay, so uh, in my family, I was the middle child of five three boys, two girls. Um, I was the boy in between the two boys and the boy and girl on the upper side, one they're on the lower side and um, a very dynamic parenting pair, mom and dad. Um, and so they were dynamic, which was exciting. It was always exciting to be at the dinner table
0: Um I think a lot of, I, I, I have a, I, I get the impression there's another side to this dynamic. Piece <laughs> that we're about to hear. <laughs> You're about to get it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it was, it
1: was really, uh, there was lots of curiosity, uh, dynamic uh, emotion in, in a very positive way around the idea of enthusiasm and excitement for ideas. It was a very uh, alive dinner table. And I think that that, image of an active dinner table has a lot to do with the formation of the organization I work in called CTI Coaches, or the the Coactive Training Institute, which my older brother uh, was one of the co-founders of. So yay to that. It it also, though, had a dark side to it, which was um, there was a a lot of um, upset and anger uh, expressed as well um they're yeah and um particularly with uh alcohol involved in it um i think like many parents of kids growing up in the 60s and early 70s uh alcohol was a big part of a lot of our family lives um and so uh sometimes the The conversation, not so much at the dinner table, but after the dinner table ended, would get rather uh, intense and hard for a kid to have to deal with. I remember lying in my bed next to my brothers downstairs while my parents were upstairs and uh, just being aware of how frightening it was to hear the intensity of the of the uh, anger being exchanged. So um, I grew up as a, in in my family, the role that I've come to understand and uh, through our whole family, being together in family therapy for a long time, was I was sort of in that hero role, the white knight. Mm. So uh, growing up in my world, my uh, understanding was that it was my job to find Uh, a certain degree of uh, predictability outside of my family, and to also, um, you know, find a place of of value and importance in the world. So, you know, I was president of my class and captain of teams and things like that uh, throughout my growing up years. and i grew up with the underst- the the understanding at that time up until uh, well into my adulthood that 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 when i could manage that outer world that i was actually in control <laughs> what i came to realize is that I don't, I really don't control anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Was, well, was gonna, the, the irreverent one in me is going to, was going to ask you, so how's that going for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: if, uh, I think what's true for many of us, certainly me is I carry everything I never learned in, from my growing up into my marriage. And then I get a chance to experience it as a quote responsible adult. And, uh, as both as a parent to kids growing up and to a a beloved partner. And uh, this notion of control ran rather very, very intensely in me. It still does. And I just need to work it all the time.
0: And, and boy, there's a a couple of different directions to go in here. Um, More than a couple, you know, I'm curious about, the because you mentioned uh, a number of times you you touched on the role of uh, of alcohol, yeah. Um, and I, I'm I, I'm curious about at at what age you became aware, perhaps that there was something um, something amiss. I'll use that language, uh, and what. Uh, what has what's the what is the impact of that continue to to be? Hold
1: on I mean if I forget to answer the second part of that question, by all means weave it back in. Um, I didn't become aware of the actual impact of alcohol on things like fighting in my family until, uh, until after my dad ran away with another woman <laughs> and started a second family. Mm. Um, and I was then with my siblings, uh, in the home with my mom and, uh and she didn't have someone to be a partner to be fighting against. And so we, as I got older into my teenage years, um, my mid to late teenage years, um, uh, It was very clear that after she had had a certain amount of alcohol, we became her uh, conversation, her quote conversation partners uh, in those times, and uh, and it was very very clear that uh, alcohol was a just an immense uh, force of uh, I don't know not just. Poor health, <laughs> poor uh, emotional, emo, uh, intellectual—not intellectual, emotional—and familial health. It was, uh, yeah. So that's the that's what that's when I became clear about the presence of alcohol and its impact. Um, I can't remember the first part of your question. The second—that that
0: was the first part. Yeah, you did a beautiful job, answering The first, part. the second—the second part is as you look. You know, as you look. Uh, retrospectively and uh, looking at the present as well, um, what do you see of the uh, the the you know the continued ripples uh, from that the the uh, alcoholic experience that continue to inform you, impact you to this day?
1: Yeah, well, I think I mean I, I, I referred to control or the belief of control, and certainly that was a big part of it. Um, The the idea that um, if I work ever so harder than I can uh, control what unfolds in the evening as it progresses and as alcohol is consumed. And when that becomes apparent that I'm unable to control that, then the very temper that I was so uh, consumed with hating in my mom who was still home because my dad had, run, had left uh that very temper starts showing up in my expression because i can't control things <laughs> so anger is is a huge and anger the relationship of anger and control and response and carrying the wounds of alcoholism into adulthood uh has been a an issue that I've certainly had to struggle with and deal with and recover from over and over and over again. The other thing is that, that that's related to this is the need to be a do-gooder. So the idea of control has a lot, to, in my experience, had a lot to do with, um, geez, if I only get the best grades possible, get the highest accolades from teachers and community, et cetera, then uh, maybe I, first of all, it fills an an emptiness inside of me, number one. And maybe it will satisfy that parent over there enough that uh, they will, in in some secret, mysterious way, their own um, alcohol-fueled upsets will, uh, will, you know, dissolve, you know.
0: Uh, Hence the savior role.
1: Yeah, hence the savior role, hero, savior,
0: white knight, all that. All of it, yeah. yeah. I
1: want to add just one other thing, and that is to say that I have the most profound respect and love for both of these, at at the time, crazy parents who are now gone, um, even with all of the other stuff. This is not a damaged child story in any way uh so i just want to be clear about that
0: <laughs> yeah well thank you for that and, and 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 yeah and i know that about you by the way um yeah not a damaged child for uh story but an informed uh, I'm, I'm hearing an informed adult story coming out of yeah. It. yeah yeah you know and 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 i'm curious because you mentioned do-gooder and and here's what and here's what's true you know this about yourself um in the in the in the work that you've done over the course of the years is that you uh you do an, uh, an incredible amount of good, uh, which we're going to get to in a little bit. And before we go there, um, you know, what, what do you see? I didn't know this question was going to come out. So here it goes. Uh, what's the, what's the, what's the dark side of all of this, of the, of the do good or drive.
1: Oh, um, when I'm not doing good, I'm useless uh, there's an addictive need to uh, serve and um, and get external affirmation for my service. Um, there is a constant need to uh, uh, determine my value based on what other people say and how well how well they have said I've done um so that's a huge part of it um yeah
0: then, yeah 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 thank you for that thank you and um and with all of the good that you do what you know what what are you what are you proud of these days <laughs> i love that
1: laugh <laughs> um i gosh uh i i well you know what is a Parents say, but of course, I'm proud of my kids. I've, I've got two amazing kids who are doing great things. And uh, so I'm thrilled with what they're doing uh, with the uh, I have a granddaughter now who's a little over three years old. And I see how my son and his wife are doing in in ways of parenting her that I just go, oh how did they learn to do that? <laughs> Not for me. So I'm incredibly proud of who they've become. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, despite sort of the challenges that I've experienced in being a, a good parent, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, what uh, my wife, Heather, and I have, have provided them. I have a uh, a kid uh, named M who um, I'm extremely proud of as well for all of those things so so you know I I guess this sounds sort of uh, what is it Uh, I can't remember what the word is but you know oh a a parent is supposed to cliche uh, is supposed to talk about their kids they're proud of that it's hard to talk about things that I do that I'm actually proud of I I I can see the impact that I've created in many places and um, I'm thrilled with the impact I get stuck a little bit on the word pride because I think of the, the sort of one, it's one of the seven deadly sins, and I'm still kind of stuck in that place of, oh, look at me, look what I did, I did so great.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that I was asking you. frankly,
1: that. that's where I get stuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a conversation for another time, Sam. I don't know that I was speaking directly to your ego, but thank you for its offering anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this episode with sam house and myself your host here ken mossman on mojo for the modern man and just a quick reminder if you have not yet please do subscribe to mojo for the modern man on your favorite podcasting service let's get back to the conversation so you so you you've lived you've lived a checkered life um no you've you've done a lot of different things uh yeah yeah and um talk a little bit about the path from from uh from you know from from childhood which we touched on earlier but you know if you could sketch the path that led you to the work that you're doing now you know particularly the path that wove through uh driving a new york cab etc <laughs> draw 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 the map for us a bit
1: all right I'll, I'll do my best and i'll try not to go too long on that um Well, uh, when I was still in high school, my mom, who had been uh, the head of the National Organization for Women for the state of Wisconsin, and um, had done women's consciousness raising groups in our attic. It was a furnished attic um, uh, with all these women tramping in and out of our house. And then she moved from there to becoming a family therapist. And uh, when Part of the program was for the students of that family therapy program to be interviewing uh, families, with while well, uh, their supervisor and others would observe through a one-way mirror, so they would see the therapist working. And so I got a, my mom brought me to her family therapy program, and I got a chance to see uh, how family therapy was done behind a, a two-way mirror. I was fascinated. Mm. The 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 seeds for that have been planted long before because it's always been about a f- forming and preserving relationship with me has been the nature i came into the world with that mission i think so but i got a chance to see how in a work environment this is a really cool thing i then went on to go to college and became a religious philosophy major and got out of college and. Um, led bicycle trip, took kids on bike trips around different parts of the world, Europe and North America, and uh, met uh, a, a wonderful guy who ended up becoming my brother-in-law and I married his sister and um, uh, ended up uh, needing an excuse to leave the Midwest where I was working to go live with my uh, wife, Heather. And so I had to find a reason to go and I, I Said, oh, what the hell, I'll, I'll sign up, I'll try to apply for graduate school. I knew I didn't take standardized tests very well, so I thought the GEDs are required for the psychology uh, program. So I uh, instead became a social worker and uh, uh, came out of my master's degree with clinical social work. And immediately, I, I'd always had a very superior arrogant point of view about the word social worker so I after getting my degree I immediately did something else I never did social work starting out and I uh, drove taxi cab in New York instead um, and had all kinds of great experiences as my uh, my wife who had also finished her graduate training started on a very wonderful career so she'd come home from Rockefeller Center in New York City and I'd come in from driving cab, and <laughs> we say, "Well, how was your day, sweetheart?" "That well, was good. <laughs> I didn't get mugged today." Um, uh, I so I did that for a while, and finally, I got a little desperate and uh, took a job doing uh, foster care prevention in uh, one of the toughest neighborhoods in Brooklyn, New York City. I did that for a while, and
0: uh, and for those who don't know what foster care prevention, yeah is? What is foster care Well, it's interesting
1: because in the 70s, the state of New York and probably other states too, uh, created an institution called foster care prevention so that kids who were at risk of going into the institution of foster care wouldn't go into that institution. They go into the institution of foster care prevention, where we worked with kids and their families to help shore them up so that they wouldn't end up having to go into the foster care system, which was and in many ways still is a disaster because of how it's funded and all kinds of other things. Mm. It was an eye opening experience uh, as a uh, white man of privilege coming from the upper Midwest into an organization, a foster care prevention agency, a minority run, all African American and Latino uh, agency in a part of New York City that looked like Dresden after the fire bombings of World War II. And, um, and then to go and uh, do home visits into the projects where there was an awful lot of violence uh, as this scared white guy uh, thinking I was going to, you know, really make an impact on people's lives. And quite frankly, I feel like that was a very rewarding, but also incredibly burning out profession. And uh, while doing that, I worked separately in a clinic and got clinical hours being a therapist, et cetera, and did all of that until our daughter was born. She, uh, my wife did six months of maternity leave, and then I quit being a social worker and became a full-time parent uh for about eight or nine months and then eventually f- found my way into the training and development profession i thought and uh
0: we <laughs> you <that>. thought
1: <laughs> yeah well i uh, took a job up in uh, albany new york from new york city lived six months separate from uh my wife and daughter uh, and uh, uh thought i would uh uh, learned training and development through joining a real estate company and training realtors. Um, I never got to the training part. I just became a realtor, sold one house, quit that, drove taxi cab in, in Albany, New York, and then eventually got a job as a social worker again. <laughs> so, so it's like the gravitational pull of cab driving and, and social work uh, uh, was rather strong. And I did I did well as a clinician working in inpatient, uh, inpatient psychiatric hospital, uh, outpatient day treatment programs, my own private practice, grew as a family therapist myself, and really enjoyed it. And that went beautifully um, until I had a conversation one Christmas with my older brother, Henry, who had just started uh, training people in this new profession called coaching. Henry had been a career consultant, had been an actor and a career consultant for actors. And uh, Henry uh, said, hey, I'm training people to become coaches. And I said, what are coaches doing? And he said, well, you know, they help people realize their dreams and move towards being more fulfilled in their life. And they do it by asking questions and, and supporting people. And I said, well, Henry, that sounds like exactly what I do as a trained therapist with graduate and postgraduate training and you never graduated college why should i come to study your thing boy (laughs) was i arrogant (laughs) so what so
0: (laughs) so uh, so what got you to you know what what had you put the arrogance down for long enough to to put down because there's two things that i'm making up that the two things went on one of them was putting down the arrogance the other thing was picking up a modicum of curiosity yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. they don't always go hand in hand by the way yeah
1: i mean my older brother is a is a creative and inventive sort and whatever he's up to is something that you know i want to i want to find out more of number one number two though uh he was also incredibly humble and he said you know can you at least come to fill a warm seat in this workshop I'm doing? Cause I'm concerned. I won't have enough people. And I said, okay, I had a feeling sorry for you. I'll come. And uh, I came and I took his little workshop and uh, it changed my life and it changed my path because what I realized is what was trying to have, what was happening in that coaching world was what I was always standing for in the therapeutic world. And that is, To find the best in someone, engage that best, and work with them, champion them to help them discover how brilliant and magnificent they are. I was trying to do that as a therapist, but I had a sort of like, if you want to consider it, an energetic field around the world of therapy, so often includes pathology. Yep. They need to validate continuing dysfunction in order to get paid. Otherwise, if they're healing too quickly, the insurance company doesn't want to pay. So I was stuck in this energetic field of uh, you know justifying continued sickness in order to be able to work with people. And it, 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 it felt like reaching for a destination and never being able to get there because of the conditions around it. Coaching. Free was freeing me of all of that, and that was that that began a process of you know converting over to uh doing a lot of coaching and a lot of leadership development work. Um, that continues to this day.
0: Thank you for joining me for this first half of my conversation with Sam House. If you want to reach out to Sam, Uh, The best way is via email, CoachSam1, all one word, C-O-A-C-H-S-A-M, the number one. That's CoachSam1 at gmail.com. And you can also seek him out on LinkedIn and read his bio on the Coactive Training Institute's uh, website as well. And if you want to reach out to me You can reach me at Ken at Cirrus, C-I-R-R-U-S coaching, all one word, Ken at CirrusCoaching.com. Please do come by my website, Leadership, all one word, C-I-R-R-U-S as in the cloud, CirrusLeadership.com. Come on by my website. uh, Subscribe to my newsletter if you have not yet. Of course, do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And on my website, by the way, I also have a free gift you can grab and uh, there's some exciting programs coming down the pike as well, so check those out. And thank you for joining me. Come on back next week for the second part of uh, my conversation with Sam. And meanwhile, this is Ken Mossman, your host here on Mojo for the Modern Man. Make it a great day.